Welcome to another episode of What's New in Wagyu. My name is Stephen Wolf. I'll be your host today, and we're going to cover some interesting things today. A lot of people don't understand how important females are in this industry, and, and I'm going to cover some early females that have made some major standout points and some females that I feel are not the most suited for the Wagyu breeding that I do. I'm looking for a cow at the end that produces better females than themselves. I'm also looking for a big broody female with good feet, nice straight back, good udder, and has the ability to pass this on to the next generation. And in the Akushi world, red wagyu, Japanese brown, whatever you'd like to call it, there are some very good females that were initially brought over. We like to see a few of these in our pedigrees, but we're getting to the point of breeding now where we're past these genetics. And that's a whole nother topic I'm going to talk about at the end of the podcast is, is what are we doing as a group of breeders that is moving this product and moving these animals forward? So to start off, I want to talk a little bit about early females that came to this country and, and what they really have given us to this point. So we have a Kiko. We're going to start off with her. And she is the mother of Big Al which a lot of people use in their in their pedigrees and have had very good success with it. Akiko, to me, brings some very decent structure in. I don't think she brings marbling like a lot of some of the other females, but it, she definitely brings some very good confirmation and some very good structure. She is a good female to have in your pedigree. She's not the best female by any means, but she is a very good female to have in your pedigree. And if I was looking to start a new operation tomorrow, I wouldn't be ashamed to have her in my pedigree, knowing what I know today. But her best son to date is probably going to be Katsukari. Katsukari is probably one of the best bulls that have come out of the Australian market, and we're going to talk about that today. There are some very distinct Hakari sons that have come out of this market, and only because their females have really helped out the situation. Hakari brings you so much marbling and so much ability to structurally out an animal he is a little on the small side but when you start mixing him with some of these beautiful females some of these high-powered females you get some great outcomes and katsukari is one of those outcomes katsukari brings you a lot of marbling from his dad and a lot of structure and confirmation from his mom again he's not a huge bull but a bull that's going to give you some future possibilities if bred correctly to the right female and that's huge right that's what we should all be doing is thinking about what we're going to do with the next generation of animals in my opinion if we're not breeding better animals every year than their mothers we're doing something wrong and akiko like i said her confirmation's hard to beat she's got good feet she's got good udder she's got a good top line she's got a good bottom line the next cow i want to talk about is yume Yume has possibly left the largest mark on the Wagyu world as females. She has given us some of the greatest carcass animals out there. You know, when she came to America, she was bred in Japan and gave, a, gave us a calf, 504, which is often called the elephant calf. The interesting thing about Yume is she is such a high power marbler, but she also gives you some very good size and width. If you look at all of our pedigrees that have, you know, that are that are used quite a bit in my operation, we rally around Yume. There's not a lot of opportunity to get her, but she did sire. She is the dam of probably the best, the number one marbling 
second generation sire out of Australia, Kajikari, and very little semen was ever, ever collected on this bull, let alone exported. So Kajikari is a very Australian animal that stayed in Australia, but his son, Master Chef, came to this country, giving us a huge mixture of not only Yume, but Namiko. So that is a huge benefit when you match those two powerful maternal lines together, and she is, in my opinion, the queen of the carcasses. Yume will give you the best carcasses available. Here's the thing. We need to start learning how to stack these, these genetics. It doesn't do you any good to just match them with any animal out there. You know, you breed Yume to a bull like Shugmaru, you're going you're gonna to destroy some of that marveling, but you're going to sure pack on some beautiful phenotype and some size. And that's the problem. Nobody's out there doing carcass data. Nobody is. Everybody talks about it, but it always ends up being F1 carcass data. Let's talk about straight, full-blood carcass data. And I'd love to have a conversation with somebody who's actually collected some other than myself. We've collected enough carcass data at this point that we know which animals are going to work for the purposes that we need. If we need to build some structure, if we need to build some length, if we need to build a cow that, you know, has a, a propensity for marbling, but maybe not as perfectly perfect in the confirmation setting. In Wagyu, we have noticed one very important thing, one over-glaring thing. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. You cannot have an animal that is going to marble amazingly and have the most perfect maternal line and have the most perfect phenotype. It doesn't happen. You have to give something up in order to get marbling. You have to give something up in order to get maternal, and you have to give something up to in order to get confirmation. So what we like to do is, is we like to match very, very beautiful high marbling cows with very good structured bulls not not the best structured bull out there, but good structured bulls to give good feet, legs, and backs, and the greatest marbling potential that we can offer. That's what we do. Like I mentioned a little earlier, Namiko, she's another cow that's the queen of the carcass. She's she is by far one of the best females that were exported. There's not a lot of animals out there that are as good as she is when it comes to marbling. I would say if you were going to rank them, Yume would be number one, Namiko would be number two. Now going on, you have Diate. Diate's an interesting female because she's the mother of Tamaru. She's the mother of Red Emperor. You know, so she, she mothered a lot of big name bulls in the industry, but she is the only F11 carrier, you know, on the board. And that scares some people. It doesn't scare us because we have a meat program. If it, does, if it has F11, we send it to the meat program or we breed around it. It's not that big a deal. The problem I have with Diet is she does have, in my opinion, a pretty thin-hided cow. And, and up north, that doesn't work for us as well. You know, we need an animal that has a little thicker hide, the propensity to grow a little more hair. I think down in the southern regions, she would be awesome because she does have that lighter skin and that lighter hair. And she really passed that on to, to her son, Red Emperor. And that's that's a whole nother ball game, right? You start talking about Red Emperor, and now you've added that diet through Big Al back on a on an animal that has beautiful conformation and structure she's not a terrible marbling cow she's better than akiko and i would say katamaru but she is not of the caliber of namiko or yume then you have the two jvp females jvp hirome and 27 and kunasaki there's very few animals out there from these breedings 
one of the big things about 27 Harami, I love that cow. I have a son of hers, and he is by far one of our best carcass bulls out there. He gives us beautiful carcasses day in and day out. And the reason is, is because we are stacking high quality, high caliber genetics that, that consist around marbling. He is not my most beautiful bull. Not even close. Our Katsukari sons and our Master Chef sons are far more structurally correct and wide and big and most people re don't even realize that they're red wagyu they oftentimes mistake them for gelvies and they're just big beautiful boys but our 27 Hirome son is probably the nicest of them all and, and not appearance wise but in delivering us quality and consistent carcasses year after year Kunisake is kind of interesting. She's the grandmother of, you know, Rusha 92, 75, and, and, and that set of bulls, Rusha 2. I believe in the limited data that we've been able to collect from grandsons and granddaughters that she is a very good marbling bull. I think that, or sorry, a very good marbling cow. I do not know if long-term as we kill more and more of her great-grandchildren, if we're able to give her a fair assessment, I'd like to get a hold of a few things and try breeding closer to her and getting and getting a fair assessment. You know, I'd love to find a few more sons and, or, or daughters that we were able to buy some, some genetics off of and, and be able to do those things. So die three, she was brought here, and in her belly, Katie Maru was there. And Katie Maru is is one of those cows that, that are either you're in love with her or you're not. I know that Wegu Sakai and Bill Fisher and Legend, Legendary have really rallied around this cow. I think that she has very good confirmation. I think that she gives you a lot of depth and width. And But I do not think from from the data we've been able to collect off of off of different animals and the data that I've been able to to retrieve from from different breeders that this cow is a marbling animal. I believe this animal has more propensity. Katie Maru is your will help you with your structure. It all depends on what you want to do. If you really look into breedings at a lot of the bigger the bigger guys, they have now turned themselves into animal breeders of confirmation. And I don't blame them. A lot of the Wagyu guys, we look at things a little differently. We don't mind a few flaws in confirmation. But the regular cattle guy does. And what they've done is, is they're selling bulls to make F1s and they need to make these cattle guys happy. And to me, that's not what we do. I breed bulls to maximize marbling and capacity. I would love to breed confirmation bulls. It would be the easiest thing in the world. If I could breed only for confirmation, I could probably produce some of the most beautiful, well-rounded bulls you'd ever see. But they wouldn't marble like what, the ones we have today. And I'm picky. We go through our bulls with a fine-tooth comb and we will kick them out if they have the slightest problem. But... That's not our game. Our game is not the F1 producer. Our game is the other full blood producers and, and our meat program. So that's what we do. I really like Fukio. Fukio, when she came to this country, was pregnant also and gave us 505. I've really enjoyed some 505 in my pedigrees. I don't necessarily love the structure and the feet 
but I absolutely love that she doesn't kill my marbling. She doesn't hurt my marbling. I think that she's what's called an amplifier. I think she would be very similar to, to a master chef that it, he isn't going to fix your problems, but he's going to amplify your good attributes and your bad. So if you have good cattle, it's not that big a deal. You know, and then and then we have the Dynine Cobia 73. She's an interesting one too, right? She's a half sister to Tamaru. I believe that she came out with the with the better set the better the better mother of the two. Here and the cool thing about her is is there's just not a lot of a lot of her. I think that Bill Fisher at Legendary has done a very good job of keeping animals around and breeding into animals and getting animals that that probably the lines have been lost but here's the thing alan marie wood are very very good breeders they were great breeders they were breeders that brought animals from japan here and propagated a business and obviously there's a reason that they didn't propagate 73 as heavy as some of the others whether that's a temperament problem whether that's that's a problem with with you know feet or or whatever and maybe heat tolerance because they were in texas whatever it was they didn't rally around this cow near as much as some of the other cows that they that they had and that's okay right we're all different in our idea of what the perfect cow is i think it's interesting i i've bred some phoenix into my herd we're gonna see how we like it i i don't have a ton of data on it yet give me a year or two and i will have some beautiful carcass data out and and then we'll be able to fairly assess this um and, and there's some there's some things that we need to be very mindful of you know some of these early cows they came here because people thought that this is what we needed here in the united states haruko is another good cow she's not going to be your best marbler but i think that she offers a fair amount of marbling and a fair amount of structure the one thing i do not like about her and if you look at any of her pictures she's really weak in that upper loin and that bothers me i like a cow that finishes off through the tail head so that i don't have calving problems down the way everybody's talked you know the the wagyu world is so great because of our calving ease well i'm starting to see this go away I'm starting to see where people are breeding back to original stock and creating problems because they have no idea what they're doing. And they're mixing structure and structure and structure. Well, when you start doing that, you start depleting your calving ease. And I'm not saying I want little calves. I want a calf that's big, it's healthy, and it can come out just like a deer. Slides right out and we don't have any problems. We don't have to pull it. We don't have to monitor the mom. That is what we look for because we calve outside in January and in April. We need these cows to be able to take care of themselves and their calves. Naomi's another great um, diet daughter. I think that she's probably one of the most underutilized and very, very rarely seen inside a lot of the a lot of anybody's stuff. She is not in almost in half of people's, well, I would say she's not in anyone that I know of pedigrees. I've used a few things that would be similar to like a half sibling-ish, ish, that's ish, but who knows? Her breeding looked so good, but there's just not a lot of animals that were ever bred from her due to, due to her circumstances. Let's follow, you know, Katie Maru, I've already talked to her. I think that Katie Maru is a good cow. I never want anybody to think that I don't think she's a good cow, but I don't think that she produces what some people are claiming. 
I've killed enough of her grand, or, you know, her grandsons. I've killed a few of her sons, or grandsons. Sorry, we've killed a few of her grandsons and granddaughters. And from what I see, I think that she brings forward a lot of structure. When you see her in an animal like uh, WSIU Minyaru, right? You, you love the, the marbling that he brings you, and you love the structure that he brings you, but you know he's a smaller bull. When you kill some other animals out there, you know, if you get a hold of some, some, uh, some semen on, on different bulls, she, she had a fair amount of bulls out there that, that weren't just stellar, that nobody talks about anymore. She has some daughters out there that, that are the same way. So one thing I can tell you is anybody who's ever seen Yume calves or, or grandchildren or Namiko grandchildren or Diet grandchildren, they tell you that they are beautiful animals that marble well. I don't hear that from Katamaru people. Katamaru too, Bill Fisher really rallied around and I think he did a good job with this cow. Other than she's bred to Tamaru. And, and I've found some some major holes in that breeding, especially out of bulls like GK4. I, I just don't see the benefit of going back to that line. So we do not breed into the, the Katimaru line very often. When we do, it is always with the same bull and it is always with WSIU Minyaro. I feel like Hakari pushes enough stuff forward through Katimaru that we're able to overcome some of the downfalls I believe she has. And again, remember guys, this is my opinion. This is me killing a bunch of animals and carcass grading and looking at structure and looking at calves in the field and going to a ton of different places and looking at their calves. Oh yeah, wait, and we kill a bunch of other Wagyu for other people. So I get to see a large swath coming from different places. These are the animals that I really like. These are the, the females that I really have rallied around. And if I was going to pick, well, this is what we do. We have Yume, we have Namiko, we have Diate, we have Akiko. I used some Kunaseki and 27 Hirome. And I used Katie Maru through WSI. That's really, if we're going to go back, those are the mainstays of the original cows in my pedigrees. So let's switch gears. Let's talk about something important. I have been wondering for quite some time now what we are doing here as Wagyu breeders, especially as Akaushi breeders. There's so few animals that came here back in the 90s, and even if you count the two bulls from, from early on in the 70s, we are not doing a good job of propagating new sons and daughters. So... I'm not sure in 10 or 15 years what people are going to be doing. So look at everybody's cell as of late. Everybody's breeding back to original sons or original, you know, original genetics. Why are we doing this? If you look at most of our breedings, granted we do have one cow, which is a judo daughter, that we breed back to Rusha because it gives us a beautiful chance of a 0% inbreeding coefficient. Oh, and on top of that, you can breed to almost any other of the original lines and still have a 0% inbreeding coefficient. That's why we use them. If you look at how much original genetics we breed in our operation, it is next to none. 
we have gone out and we have found second generation bulls and third generation bulls and fourth generation bulls from original product and we have rallied around those bulls because it's important to if i cannot produce better animals than the mother that produced them we are doing something wrong you look at some of these breeders right now and they call themselves legacy herds or whatever nonsense all they're doing is following somebody else's protocol they're not doing it themselves they're not they're not being genius about it they're not coming forward with new animals that are making the breed better they're stagnating the breed and that's the truth of it we breed back to original bulls usually to drop down our inbreeding coefficients do i breed to big al yep do i breed to hikari from time to time yes i do but it's usually in an animal that I know needs that extra marbling. And the other reason is, is I got Hikari far cheaper than I ever bought WSI Yumanyaru. Well, that's, I guess that's not true either. When I was buying semen on these bulls, it was costing us next to nothing. I remember buying WSI Yumanyaru semen for under $100. It wasn't that long ago, guys. I remember buying Hikari and Big Al and Rushan Judo for under $50 a straw a piece. And we're talking less than eight years ago, guys. It wasn't that long ago. I think what the big problem is in today's world of Wagyu breeding is no one is, is looking out and trying to breed better cattle. If we didn't breed the way we do, we would be broke right now. I wouldn't have people calling from all over the country to try to come and buy our genetics if we weren't progressively getting better, the original bulls and cows were very small or smaller. I have some of them. I have original breedings at the house. Guess what? They're the smallest animals at my house. We sell Wagyu, especially the steers, on poundage. We try to get $10 a pound hanging weight, which gives us a $10,000 carcass because we have 1,000 pound carcasses or better that is important it is important to add width through the loin to give your chefs or the people that you sell to more ribeyes a longer tenderloin a longer strip loin a bigger sirloin you know fill that sirloin cavity out the original bulls and cows look at their pictures you'll never be able to do that What's happened is, is there are very good breeders, especially in Australia, that have taken the time to, to start this. That's why we breed to bulls like MasterChef, Katsukari, Tambo, Recital. All of those bulls offered bigger and better genetics because they have more of the original bloodlines in them. When you think about it, if you're able to stack Namiko, Yume, Hakari, you've hit the trifecta of marbling. But there are people in this industry that seem to believe that we need to breed back to the original genetics on top of the original genetics. And it's just not effective, guys. And the part that nobody realizes is, is we're using semen that is finite, very little in existence... And we're burning it up on cows that should never be being bred anyway. If I could tell you one thing that would make all of our herds better, start culling cows. Start culling bulls. 
don't sell them to the next guy down the road and say, oh, they're a great animal because it's a son of Rusha. I've seen that so many times lately, it drives me crazy. I see no huge advantage over you breeding to Rusha. None. Unless you need to bring a, a coefficient down, that's the most important thing to do. Because he is not going to make you a home run hitter. Everybody in America, well, most of us, grew up either playing or watching baseball. There are a reason that Nolan Ryan and Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin were, were just amazing pitchers. It wasn't because they were one-trick ponies. It's because they understood the game, they would pitch the game in a way that it would progressively become harder and harder for those batters to pick up on what they were doing. Well, that's not what 90% of the industry is doing right now. We're throwing fast, they're throwing fastballs right down the middle and hoping that nobody hits them. What's going to happen is, is there's going to be a train wreck over this and there's going to be a lot of people out there that are like, wow, I didn't see that coming. And I'm going to go remember when I talked about this in a podcast. Let's be wise, guys. Let's stack genetics. If you know you want an animal that's in a per, you know, the most beautiful phenotype you've ever seen, you stack genetics from Katie Maru and, and Naomi and Diate and Shugmaru and Tamaru. You will get the best of the best right there. Because each of them give a different portion of structure to that animal. There's a lot of Wagyu lately that I've been seeing and people send me pictures all the time. What do you think of this heifer? For some reason, I'm trying to figure out why these animals are not getting longer and longer through the neck and the back. I see pictures constantly with short-necked cows that have a moderate frame that comes sweeping up into the shoulder. They have no, no spring or rib. They're kind of flat through the middle and then they have a weird taper at the hook. And I look at them and I go, wow, at some point you're going to have calving problems. That is the scary thing to me, guys. We are breeding cattle that are less efficient because we are not breeding for the, the traits that we need. We need, like I said, an animal that can marble well and be fertile and take care of a calf and be able to walk a little bit. That's what we need in our operation. I can't have a cow with bad feet. I can't have a cow with a bad back. I can't have a cow that's a calving nightmare because she will die here. And I would cull her out before I ever lost her because I wouldn't want to have to, to lose a cow because I am incapable of breeding a better animal for every generation we have. I am going to say we need to do a better job as a whole of breeding better cattle. We need to stop this going back to original genetics and charging an arm and a leg for them for something that doesn't really mean anything. Here's the deal. Every time that you sell an animal for, let's just say, a number, right? Where I'm going to give a random number. If you sell a Rusha son for 10 grand and there's a new person in the breed, they see that and they go, well, 
Well, if it's it's $10,000, then that has to be a good bull. Rusha has to be the greatest marbling bull out there. And these poor people breed to Rusha, breed to Rusha, and then come to find out their marbling scores are not what they thought they were going to be. I'm here to tell you, I produce, along with other breeders like Garth Monroe over at Idaho Wagyu Genetics, and a few others we know, Steve Borland's another one, that have found the secret of breeding Red Wagyu, Akaushi, Japanese Browns, that have the same potential for marbling as 85% of the Black Wagyu in this industry. It is possible, but you have to be a progressive breeder. You can't sit back and watch everybody and keep breeding back to the original bulls and cows because you will never get there. I bet you that we make as much money off of selling breed stock and then turning around and selling steers or heifers that have been culled than most operations in the country. We're able to do this because people know when they come and buy from us that they're going to get a consistent product. I can consistently sell to the top 1% restaurants weekly, red or black wagyu, and they never complain or turn anything away. And we get this all the time. Hey, my friends would like to also buy from you, and we just can't fulfill the orders because we cannot produce enough animals to do that. And then you throw on the other issue, like right now, we're looking at hay prices in Idaho, that $300 plus a ton for hay. Our grain and our wheat it's, and corn's going to be high enough that there really isn't a lot of margin to be made in feeding cattle. We do it, we're going to continue to do it, but we won't have the extra head we used to just put into the lot and feed. Our animals are going to need to be sold and be, be paid for, you know, at least half down so that we can get people the stuff that they want in a timely manner. Does this worry me? Yeah, it always does. It's worried me from this time I started. I, you know, we've never had, we grow all of our own feed and, and we're questioning feeding. So how are a lot of you guys out there doing it? I'd be really interested for you guys to drop us an IM or, or put a comment on this on our, our website or Facebook page especially, because I question that every day. How are other breeders making it work? Especially with the price of hay and the price of, of grains and, and the amount of time we have to have these animals on them. Here's another thing a lot of you guys don't realize. I have never been told no by any of the F1 programs out there that when we've tried to use red cows. I have been able to sell them at the same rate as, as black wagyu calves. And the reason is, is because we have trusted long-term verification on full blood carcasses. We are able to prove what we say we have. I don't know very many full-blood operations that can say that. Most of them sell breed stock and create F1s. Let's not judge our full-blood bulls and cows off of their ability to produce an F1. I have seen animals that produce beautiful F1 carcasses when bred back to other full-blood animals 
not produce quality carcasses that I would like to see. And I am picky. Stuff that most of you guys post on online that I see all the time would not make grade in our program. I would look at it and we would sell it under a general premium beef label. I wouldn't label it Wagyu because I do not breed and do not have animals that are in the bottom or in the middle. I am not a guy of average. I am a guy who tries to be the best at everything that I've done in my life, including breeding Wagyu. I understand that Wagyu is the meat breed. I understand that Wagyu also needs some structure and depth and rump and all that good stuff. But down to the bottom line, Wagyu is a meat breed. It is a breed of meat that, that creates beautiful meat. Not just subpar. Beautiful. And we start looking at the mixture of, of different breeds. You now water down that. Or B, it happens to match up well with these animals. I'm not saying we don't breed cows for the F1 man. We breed bulls all the time that are purchased by F1 breeders. But I'm definitely going to breed them differently than I would for a full blood operation. So the next thing we need to talk about, now that we've kind of cleared up why are we staying in the past and rebreeding the same breedings and not promoting new and different things, I can tell you right now, that I sell embryos every year. I can sell embryos on fourth or fifth generation bulls for the same or more money that I can at breeding back to Rusha, Judo, Hikari, and not have to pay all the extra money in getting the semen. So you guys out there need to really be cognizant about what you're doing. Why do you want a Rusha son? Is it just because you think it's cool? Then that's fine. If that's the reason, you do it. You buy it and you keep that bull and you be happy because that's what you've done. I like Rusha sons or Rusha heifers when I need to break an inbreeding coefficient that's getting a little higher than I like. And it's the same with any of these animals, guys. You do not need to have original genetics in the first line or the second line of your pedigree to have high-quality animals. I would say for a guy producing high-quality animals for the market, whether it's for meat or F1 producers, you wouldn't want original genetics. You look at some other bulls out there, you know, there's a line-bred son of of Kajikari that, that's been doing great in the system called Henson beautiful bull i think that that bull has some major potential long term do i think he's going to be better than master chef no but i think that he's a contender i think that he's every bit as good as katsukari kalinga red star is another bull that you listen to the breeders that don't kill carcasses and they tell you he's a terrible bull well hold on a second here that brings all the marbling you need from her side we need to stop sitting here and going, oh, these animals are terrible. We need to look at them for what they can give us. The problem with most people in the European genetics is, is most people didn't get an opportunity to even have them. Most people didn't get an even opportunity to use them. So I have really, really been patient with a lot of people that are like, oh, you know, one of the worst bulls you could buy is Clegg Red Star. 
and then you start talking to the individual or individuals and realize they've never killed any sons or daughters of his or grandchildren. They've killed some F1s or had somebody tell them that it was, he wasn't a good bull. He has made an impact on the Australian system since the third year of his life. And that's a system that cares about data and ability to transmit data and the ability to watch this data become something bigger than itself. So let's all step back and take a breath and go, hey, Let's see what he can bring me, not what's going to knock him down. This is my last thing I'm going to leave you with here. Be very careful where you're getting your data from. I am not convinced at all that the, a, the Akaushi Association's data is very good. Mainly because there's so few data points in that data. The accuracies are so low that it doesn't make sense to use as real data. Can you look at it and say, oh, there's an opportunity for that? Yes. But I have looked at numerous animals that it had a below 50% accuracy. Heck, 50% accuracy, I can get that by walking out in the field and saying, hey, there's a bull and a cow here and let's mix them together. Please be careful. Please watch things. Please do the things that are necessary so that you get good data. Mainly collect your own. Because this is what I'm going to tell you. I can breed and, and have animals and feed them. And Colby, who's just in Jackson an hour away, can do the same thing. And we can have different outcomes. The reason is, is because genetics are what the potential the animal has. And the way we handle them and the way we feed them and the way we do things with them expresses those genetics, whether good or bad, in our end product. So, I want you to remember that when you start looking at people's data. Accuracies are important. You look at accuracies on bull like Red Emperor in Australia or the American Wagyu. Well, in Australia because they have real marbling. You know, they have marbling in their data set. The American Wagyu Association, the American Akaushi Association, neither of them do. And they have not only marbling, but marbling fineness, and that's a whole nother ballgame. Marbling fineness is more important than marbling because guess what? If you have finer marbling and you have a good melting point on your fat, you're going to have a more tender product. And that's where most Akaushi guys lose out on. They don't know how to breed light, but finer, finer marbling. And then they don't know how to breed and then feed an animal to produce a lower melting point on that fat. The lower the melting point on that fat, guys, the more tender it is. The more tender it becomes, the better off that this animal is going to be for the end consumer when they eat it. Everybody talks about the health benefits of Wagyu. I have seen multiple carcasses coming in from other breeders that almost don't give you a high oleic acid content. Oh, and how do you measure that? Everybody always asks that. Goes back to fat melting. Fat melting point will give you, there is a data set out of Japan with fat melting point and percentage of oleic acid that you can pretty much take to the bank. It's not perfect, but it's dang close. It's closer than, than most people are going to ever get. So I want you guys to take away one thing from this podcast. 
we need to do a better job at breeding. We need to do a better job at making better animals. And we need to do a better job at supporting those people that are doing that. And stop penalizing them because they don't just use Rusha, Judo, Hikari, Big Al. And anymore, it's changing. We're selling embryos from fourth generation sires for as much or more than the original bulls. And I'm glad to see that. And I'm glad that people are starting to understand that we have to move forward or we're going to lose this breed as a whole. So this week on Wagyu, you know, the, the one t- the tip for, of the week for Wagyu, the tip's going to be, I want you guys to go out there and evaluate what you th- want in your cow herd. And once you've done that, then I want you to figure out how you're going to get there. And the tip is right here. Wagyu is a breed that is set aside and known for its meat quality. Not only marbling, but tenderness, fineness of fat, and palatability. And if you're not breeding animals that meet those criteria, you need to probably step back and reevaluate. Because at some point, the door's going to get kicked shut. And I I don't want to be on that side of the door. I want to be on the side of the door with good cattle that are going to continuously get better and better and that people know that and come and see me and call me and ask me questions. You know, what would you do if you were starting an operation like this or how would you handle this situation? That's where I want to be. That's why we created a podcast. I got tired of watching the same thing happen over and over again and then people not realizing why it's bad. Thank you so much for listening to us. And our next episode, we're going to have Lane back from the butcher shop. And then then from there, we're going to have some other guests that are going to help kind of identify and talk about the different things that we're doing and other people are doing to, to make Wagyu better. I hope to have an embryologist on soon and also our nutritionist. So... Thank you so much for your time, and I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Stay safe out there and breed better cattle today and tomorrow. Thank you. From What's New in Wagyu, have a good day.
out of Barbara Walters When things don't go my way And I'll get community service No matter which law I break I'll make the supermarket tabloids They'll write some awful stuff But the more they run my name down Hitch up the wagons and head 